This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? Pretty good. How are you, Andrew? I got hit in the head with a hammer. Oh! <laughs> it sucked. Thored ya. <laughs> oh, as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. We'd love to hear from you. This is part two of episode number 72 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Thor, The Dark World. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and go check out part one of this episode. Uh, before we get started, though, I am privileged to introduce a very special guest. He is the founder of the Black Guy Who Tips podcast network, and you can also hear him every week on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast podcast on Film Geek Radio, discussing Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. Rod Morrow, welcome back to Cinema Fix. Hey guys, I actually brought my own moonshine so that I can get hammered during this uh, review. All right. Glad to hear it. (laughs) I'm excited you're on, Rod, because um, you know a lot about comics, and I don't. And we had you on for Man of Steel, and it was a heated, passionate discussion. (laughs) And I I know that you really like comics, and even if we disagree, you do a good job of defending yourself. So uh, I thought we'd have you on to talk about Thor the Dark World. Uh, But before we get started, here's a clip. I know you seek vengeance as much as I do. You help me escape Asgard, and I will grant it to you. Vengeance. And afterward, this cell. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. What makes you think you can trust me? I don't. You should know that when we fought each other in the past, I did so with a glimmer of hope that my brother was still in there somewhere. That hope no longer exists to protect you. You betray me and I will kill you. All right, Rod. Last time you were on the show, we talked to Man of Steel, which you really liked, and I didn't. Uh, And I talk with you every week about Marvel's Agents of Mm S.H.I.E.L.D. So I know that you're up to date on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know that you're really into comics, and you seem to be excited about what they're doing with the movies and with the show. So I want to start out just by asking you... What did you think of the first Thor movie? And by comparison, what did you think of this one? Uh, I thought the first Thor movie was really boring. Yes. 
I thought the color palette that they used, like, it almost put me to sleep because it was, especially all the stuff on the Frost world was just so dark. And even with the contrast of, like, the stuff in Asgard, I felt like it was just a backdrop and they didn't do enough interactive with, you know, Asgardian uh, stuff. And I also dislike the use of, of the of the one bad guy who was just a, a robot machine that was designed to be beat up. So for me, Thor 1 is just kind of boring and uh, doesn't really utilize the characters um, beyond uh, introduction. And Hiddleston stole the show and, you know, subsequently went on to become, you know, the main villain of Avengers. Other than him, like if you took him out of that movie it's pretty much a pointless movie to me and with this one uh i actually liked it a lot better uh one they did more in asgard Mm. you know it's like plane fights and And stuff in the sky parties yeah it's a little bit more they're not fighting on like a lot of dark planets with you know cgi monsters uh that you can't tell what's going on in the background uh also i found this one to be a lot more humorous and uh that actually kind of uh made this this is what that's what took the movie to the next level for me and as far as the avengers films and their spinoffs are concerned uh you know it's still early but i feel like i'm gonna end up thinking this is the uh second best one out like right behind iron Whoa. man oh my god Ooh, oh 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 Sounds like you and Monica are on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) And I am on the complete opposite page. Thor, the first one, is my third favorite Marvel film behind the Avengers and Iron Man. And I thought it I thought the first Thor movie was okay the first time I saw it, and then it, it just gets better every time I watch it. And I think that the first Thor actually has a lot in common with Iron Man. And I like the arc that Thor goes through in in that movie. I like how it's about a superhero who starts out like as this all-powerful demigod almost who's really arrogant, thinks he he knows what he has to do, is all about violence and kicking ass and it's it's about him discovering uh, that there are other ways to solve your problems and sometimes diplomacy is actually the better route and I, I think that's a really interesting arc for a superhero and I like the Marvel films best when they're exploring those issues of power and responsibility and how best to go about using your abilities if you're if you're more powerful than everyone around you and this movie Thor the Dark World does absolutely nothing with those ideas it's just loud and noisy and stuff seems to happen just because it can happen rather than because it makes sense and it was hard for me to follow what was going on. The characters are flat. They don't go through any meaningful changes. The humor got a little bit better as the movie went along. But for most of the first half of the film, I just I didn't think it was a whole lot of fun. I actually liked the fact that the first Thor was kind of a small fish-out-of-water story about this guy from another world who winds up in New Mexico. For some reason, now in the sequel, they're in London and it's just, there's just so much stuff happening in this movie. I was telling Monica in part one, I, I feel like this movie expanded on the mythology and made it more complicated. It's like they thought that being bigger was somehow going to make things deeper and more uh, important feeling. But I, I kind of feel about Thor the Dark World like I felt about Man of Steel. Like there was just a lot of stuff happening, but none of it really mattered to me. 
You know, it was just like a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. But what, where, where do you want to start in terms of discussing this film? Monica, do you do you have any thoughts or any particular place that you want to start when in, in, in analyzing what works and what doesn't about Thor The Dark World? Sure, let's start let's start with the plot. Yes, Rod, can you tell me what happened in this movie? <laughs> uh, I believe I can. Um, okay, please tell me what happened. Please walk me through the plot. Whoa, tone the sass down, all right? I feel it from over he- up here in Boston. <laughs> please walk me through it, Rod. I was slow and could not follow what was happening. Well, it's been two years since Jane Foster has been separated from her long-lost love, Thor. Um, and Thor in this time has been saving the nine realms because with the bridge, uh, the transportation bridge down, um, apparently chaos was caused throughout all the nine realms, you know, without Asgard to like enforce some of the justice in the uh, nine realms. Uh, people were just running amok. So he's been spending the better part of two years chasing down different, uh, you know, bad guys and, and stopping, you know, qu- uh, squashing violence and whatnot. Meanwhile, Natalie Portman, Jane Foster, her character has been looking for Thor. Like she's been trying to find another way to find another spatial anomaly that would, you know, allow her to get back to this guy. And she, you know, they kind of allude to this in the beginning when she's on a date and, you know, she's acting like a weirdo or whatever. And, you know, she gets a little hit that they have like a lead on some more spatial anomalies and leaves the date uh, to go, you know, try to uh, study this again. Like she like she just apparently is like a woman in a Tyler Perry film. She just needs a man. And she knows. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Why is Chris O'Dowd in this movie? Someone please explain it to me. Why is he in this film? Why not? Because he serves no purpose. He's a cute, goofy guy. I thought it was charming and funny. Yeah. It, like, I don't think the role was, like, vital to the film. But uh, I thought he was very funny. and He was a good straight guy, quote unquote, to bounce the jokes off of. I mean, I guess, yeah. I guess it was a little humorous. But I, I, I just think there's a problem when you have a character in a movie that you could completely cut and it wouldn't change the film at all. I mean, real honestly, that, that scene at the beginning where she goes on the date with him only exists so that later on she can get a random phone call from him when it's at an important time. Well, that would, that would change the film. Well, no, because she doesn't even need that phone call because there's all those other objects around that she could have noticed to realize, oh, we're near a portal. But the phone call is a good cinematic device that gives the audience kind of a like, hey, wait a minute, what? You know, that, that moment matters. It just felt really mechanical to me. Like, the only reason we're going to introduce this guy here is so we can have a little moment with him later. And other than that, it's completely inconsequential. That's like being against bit actors. Like, that happens in every movie. <laughs> he, he did a good job as a bit actor. Uh, he was memorable enough without trying to, like, steal the movie. And the scene was cute later on when that rap ringtone ran off and they were in the middle of some barren planet. I have nothing against Chris O'Dowd, and I think he's fine in the scene. I just don't think that that character or that scene needed to be in there to begin with. Like, honestly, the movie feels pretty long. It felt like a slog to me most of the time, and I just think the more fat you can trim, the better. It did not feel long to me, and I'm a guy who has driven uh, about eight hours in the last 24 hours, 
and oh, uh, and had very little sleep and watched this movie as soon as I got back to Charlotte and was like on the edge of my seat. So it did not feel very long to me. Um, it felt like right at the right amount of time. But um, I'll agree with you there, Rod. Yeah, I didn't feel that it went it ran long at all. The, they do have like a build up before you even get introduced to any characters where they talk about, you know, the villain of the the movie with the dark elves and the ether and and you know, they build up that mythology in a quick like maybe 5 minute battle scene or whatever. And then that's basically the plot is those guys are coming back and juxtaposed with Thor and his love of uh Jane Foster, she, you know, she contracts the the ether into her and there's a lot of like is she going to live? Is she going to die? You know, there's a lot of stuff going on with Loki and him being in prison. But I personally, I thought the plot was easy to follow. And it, it only suffered from the same like tech talk jargon that most movies do when they try to explain science. Like they're not really going to use real science because they're making up the science kind of on the spot. But I felt like I knew exactly what they were trying to do with, as they explained it. Right. Are the Dark Elves in the comics? I don't know if they are or not, honestly, because I don't read a lot of Thor. Like, Thor, to me, is a boring character in the comic books. So, um, okay. he's actually better. This is the best anything with Thor in it other than Avengers, in my opinion. Like, this opening scene where they're dealing into the mythology is the exact same structure, structure they used in the first Thor. The first Thor opens up with Odin telling his two sons the story about the Frost Giants and whatever and setting everything up. And in this one, it's him talking about the Dark Elves, and it just just did not connect with me at all. I mean, obviously, I understand the basics. Like, mm-hmm. there's some Dark Elves that want to spread darkness, whatever that is, and there's some ether, and there's some stuff going on with that. I just did not understand the details and the context of this mythology to really care. Like, the, the movie opens up, and it's like, okay, the Dark Elves, they want to spread darkness. And I'm like, okay... What's darkness? Like, actual physical darkness? Or, like, darkness is in evil? Like, what is their ultimate goal when you say they want to spread darkness? Do they want to just destroy everything? Do they want to enslave people? And over the course of the film, you realize they want to destroy the universe. But I'm like, okay, are they somehow not going to be destroyed by doing this like what exactly how exactly does this work well i mean technically you like the first film and to me the frost giant thing was pretty much the same oh see the, the frost giants i totally bought into and felt like we had enough context for because we we uh, it makes it clear from the very beginning that there's this truce that uh there was an old war that they fought that the the frost giants were trying to take over and now they're not and it makes it very clear, like, their realm is one of the nine realms. But that is pretty much the same exact opening to this one. Like, the, there's a battle that the the Dark Elves lost. They sacrificed their world uh, so that they could get away and continue to, like, plot. And, you know, that the, the ether gets transported away from them right at the moment that the nine realms line up, lines up uh, for them to be able to, like, pull off this you know universal takeover that they were plotting i really don't think it's that big of a difference and you know i i think it was kind of obvious that they had a score to settle and that was what they set up at the beginning similar to the frost giants flashback in the first one that these guys are going to come back and they have a score to settle 
Well, see, the first one works for me because it's basically a retelling of America post 9-11. And it's all about, we were attacked, so now should we attack the Frost Giants and invade them? And it's, it's all a giant political allegory. And it mainly serves to develop Thor as a character and, and explore how will he respond to this. And for Thor the Dark World, I was just wondering, okay, so they live on this home world, Svartalfheim mm. is the name. And I was like, okay, again, is this one of the nine realms? Is this in another dimension? When they, when they, again, when they, when they say they want to destroy, they want to spread darkness, what does that mean? I, I don't know where they exist and, and, what their ultimate goal is it's just very vague and generic to me and i it it just didn't leave me a lot to grasp well what is the ultimate goal of the frost giants in the first one i mean what are they what are their you know what's their plan to the maximum fruition they don't have a goal well why are they having a war in the first place you talking about at the beginning yeah i mean like you know what's the point of that first war oh they were just on earth expanding in the first war in the, the first flashback in the first door they're fighting in the Frost Realm. They're not fighting on the Earth. I don't know, man. It seems like you just didn't want to give this on the pass, man. Like, it's the same pretty much basic, you know, bad guy of the movie setup, and then we we go on from there. You know, I, I didn't think it was, like, that crucial to the plot that they set up these bad guys with anything more than just uh, the same level of motivation as the first movie. Yeah, there's the whole flashback in the first film, but then when you jump forward to the present, the motivations are different, and it's all about there's a truce, Things we, we aren't just trying to expand anymore, we're only going to respond if you attack us, and in this movie, they jump back to the present, the elves wake up, and, they're mo- and it's like the same thing again. We want to spread darkness! And I'm like, okay, well now you can can you please elaborate on what that is? And they don't elaborate. And I, I, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know. It seemed to get pretty elaborative when they invaded the Earth at the end. I was like, oh, so that's it. They want to destroy stuff. That's all I get. I, I don't understand why they want to destroy stuff. I don't understand what's going to be destroyed. Like, is it just our universe? Is it their universe too? They want to spread destruction. Yeah, isn't darkness and light like an allegory that is so rudimentary, like, it's so fundamental to just, like, morality, basically? Like, honestly, I don't even see, like, what, like, I, I it seemed obvious. Like, yeah, obviously these dudes are bad. I don't know. Yeah, oh, exactly. It's it's so vague. It's just like, oh, those are the bad guys. It's so simplistic and wrote. It's like, oh, they're bad. The plot of this movie, in my opinion, isn't really about them it's a, still about the complicated relationship between Loki and Thor and their and their family in Asgard more so than like I still feel that these guys are a plot device for uh more character development. Like I don't think right. it's any different than the first movie. It's it's weird to me that you would get obsessed about them but not the Frost Giants cuz they're it's just as simple a villain in my opinion. I think they're a little bit more simplistic than the Frost Giants. Name 3 Frost Giants. I can't name the third Frost know, Giants, man. but I can tell you what they wanted at each part <laughs> during the film. They're just big-ass <laughs> things that Thor beat up. Laffy was the name of the head Frost Giant. And I can't remember the name of the bad guy in Thor, even though I just saw it. <laughs> I just can't pronounce it. Yeah, how do you pronounce Thor's hammer's name? It was like Malekith. Mew Mew? All right. <laughs> Mew Mew. Mew. Yes. Mew Mew. Yeah, <laughs> According to Kat Dennings. Okay, we'll get to everything with Thor and his family in a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
But answer me this, Rod. What is the ether? Uh, apparently, the ether is some type of evil ass MacGuffin, dude. Just exactly, <laughs> it's some kind of evil ass MacGuffin. I'm like, this is like the the fate of the universe hinges on this thing, and I don't know what it is or what it does. Did the dark elves create it, or was it older than them? I don't know. Did they just find? I mean, it? you know that object that was in the first one that the frost giants were trying to steal back from the the Tesseract. Yeah, yes. like. The Tesseract was an object that is completely different in Avengers than it was in Thor. I I think these movies, it's kind of a comic book thing where you just, you have these, uh, the MacGuffin, you have the thing you need to get. And it's bad if the bad guys get it and the good guys have to get to it first. And the bad guys always get it anyway, but. But see, that isn't, that isn't a developed world to me. That's not anything I can latch onto. That's just an archetype or a plot device that you're just throwing out there for no apparent reason. Like what, honestly, I felt like the ether is the exact same thing as the Tesseract. It's a vague, all-powerful something. Damn, what makes one better than the other? One's blue, one's red. It, well, exactly, that's the only difference. And in the Avengers, I felt like the mechanics of how the Tesseract worked were far less important than they are in this movie. But I'm saying the Tesseract even in Thor. Like, forget about Avengers. In Thor... In Thor, it, it's a, in Thor, the Tesseract doesn't do anything. It doesn't matter what it does. People just want it. Right. That's that's my point about this is it, I don't see how that movie is better than this one when it has the same exact setup. Because in Thor, I can see how that's just an object that serves to move things along and get into the issues with these characters. With this film, the ether is key to the plot and how the ether works is key to how certain things are happening. But I don't understand how it works. And and so nothing made sense to me. Like, okay, how come the dark elves can use it but Natalie Portman can't when she gets infected with it? How come the ether is like calling to her and pulling her through dimensions to find it is it like the ring in lord of the rings there's there's so much of this movie that felt to me like a mix between lord of the rings and star trek Mm. except both of those franchises have worlds with rules and things that make logical sense that they set up and explain and in this movie i just felt like stuff was happening for no reason i feel like any impartial third impartial third party listening sees my point by now i was gonna say andrew did you hear the part where you said It's basically the same thing, but this one's worse. (laughs) Yeah, it is a lot worse. It's so much worse. At no point in Thor does the power of the Tesseract and what the Tesseract can do, at no point does that become instrumental to what's happening. Right. To me, now see, that's funny because to me, that feels worse. You know what I'm saying? Because they really never, like, nothing ever happened. It's a blowy with box. It. it was just a thing that people wanted. At least in this one, like, the thing that people wanted actually, like, had, like, it, it had a visible effect on the screen. And then in the after credits part, when we find out that it's one of the Infinity Stones, for everybody that is a comic book fan, you immediately go, okay, got it. Like, I think that that kind of stuff matters. Like, it, like for me, that after the credits scene really was a... Oh, okay. Here we go. We're we're building towards something even more. Now, you know, we got we're talking about two of the Infinity Gauntlet stones. Here's the difference. The Tesseract in the first film is a genuine MacGuffin. 
It's like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. You do not need to know about it or know what happens, know what's inside it for the story to progress and make sense. In this movie, though, because the ether is such an instrumental part of what happens to Natalie Portman and what the elves, what their ultimate plan is, you need to be able to understand what this thing is. And they do not explain it beyond, oh, it's just this thing that's powerful. No, they say that it's one of the uh, elements. Remember when his father had that chart? And he pointed out there was the only stone that uh, that wasn't physical that could shift with right. Time. It's liquid. Like they, I mean, they kind of do it. I mean, they explain it to me more than the tesseract in the first first Thor. That's what I'm saying. The difference is they didn't need to explain the tesseract in the first Thor. They need to explain the ether here because it's so instrumental to what's happening, and they don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't agree. Okay, tell me how the hell does Natalie Portman find it? Can you explain that to me? Well, she goes looking for the temporal anomalies, hoping that she can find Thor. They end up finding a space, like those space portal things, and she gets sucked into one when she goes off. She gets off, sucked into one. When she goes off searching for uh, for for one of the portals and her instrument and her gear starts blowing up like, hey, something's over here. Right. She ends up getting big, sucked in. Right, there's a big gust of wind or whatever, and she's like dragged along mm-hmm. into this other thing where she finds, this other realm where she finds the ether right. so did the ether make that happen no 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 it's when the uh the nine realms are lining up that those temporal things show up so it just happened to be like a secure a lack security thing that she just f- falls into it no, no no she doesn't just fall into it she gets swept along like it's drawing her there andrew to to me it just seemed like she was start searching for where she thought she would be able to find like the most active part of that unstable uh environment and she got too close and got sucked in like she was clearly looking for like you could hear you know as as movies go you could hear her instruments being like beep 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 beep." like something is about to happen here um and she kept going towards it and got sucked in you know maybe it's just a movie you know device to do the like dramatic sucking or whatever but it was but to me it made complete sense that if you run towards the fire you she might wasn't get running she was, it, she was. She, she was. She was, man. Her like, instruments man, were going she, off, dude. She was looking for it, but then suddenly all the stuff starts changing and she's getting, like, sucked in like it's pulling her. Hold on. Wait. You do understand when I say run towards the fire, that's a metaphor. <laughs> Not literally she right. was running towards the fire. Like, come on, man. I'm saying the difference is important because I got the impression watching the film that someone or something was, like, drawing her, like, sucking her in, like wanting her to go there but it's as she walked towards the most unstable part looking for something you know what i mean like it's so, it's okay. kind of like in a like in aliens when the you hear all those beeps like you're like okay i know something dangerous is that way you know it was right. i mean it was clearly set up just movie wise as something is about to happen she's walking off alone by herself towards the more unstable, you know, or active part of this thing. I understand that. She's walking towards an unstable part. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that if you walk through a portal, you come out somewhere else. Right. We've we've seen that happen at this point in the film. I'm saying when suddenly she's like being swept off her feet and there's all this wind going around her, it's not like she just was searching and she found it. Mm -hmm. It seems like something is actually 
pushing her in. That is what confused me because I was like, is like, I, it honestly reminded me of Lord of the Rings. Like, is the ether like the ring that wants to be found? It wants to get back to the Dark Elves. And now Natalie Portman is the chosen one it's going to attach itself to to take it there. Speaking of the rings, when Frodo puts on the ring for the first time and he's taken into whatever realm that is, right. there's a whole bunch of wind and shit going on. Do right. you think that he was swept into that as well? Even though he himself put on the ring. That's happening in his mind. That's not actually happening in the physical world. And we don't even know that it's not happening in her mind now that you bring it up. Because there's a point where her like, clothes change and that she's surrounded by the ether. And then yeah. she wakes up. So we don't even know like if she's like hallucinating or whatever. And then she wakes up and it's five hours later also. So, I mean, you know, you're dealing with a mystical, magical, unknown thing. Yeah. I assume yeah. some mystical, magical, unknown shit happened. But okay. um, I, I don't know. I feel like you're requiring a level of uh, detail from this story that I, if you enjoyed the first movie, it seems like you really ramped up the expectations. I just want to know why things are happening. Like when people try to attack Natalie Portman, the ether like gives off this pulse. Because it's protecting itself, apparently. Okay. So so apparently now the ether does have a w- some sort of will right. or mind of its own. So that makes me think, okay, maybe it did want her to find it. And how come that's all it does to her? How come all it does is just sit inside her and defend itself, but the Dark Elves can use it? It's using her as a vessel. Mm-hmm. It's just like a waiting room until the real Dark Elf guy comes over and claims it for himself. And my personal, like, what I took from it was because they keep going about the weakness of humans. Yeah. And the fleeting mor- mortality of humans. And even with uh, when they say bring up the fact that we're not guys, we can die. And Loki's like, yeah, give or take 5,000 years. It To me, it's just, it seems obvious that her body would not be able to handle it. No human can handle having that ether in it. But uh, these other beings uh, being that, you know, these quote unquote supernatural, whatever, you know, superhuman people, they can handle it better than us. So it's only the Dark Elves that can use it. It seems like only the Dark Elves want to use it. That's what it seems like. But again, I I just wanted some clarification. Like, what is this thing? What can it do? Who wants to use it? And for what reason? And they just kind of threw it all on screen with no explanation. And it was just all very, very vague to me. Yeah, I just got to go back to the Tesseract on that one, dog. It's so obvious that that you're completely changing like the the qualifications for the movie at this point. No, because like I said, the Tesseract, you can the, the Tesseract could be anything in Thor. It could be uh, a random shoe that the Frost Giants want to get back. Oh, Odin, you stole my shoe. Give it back. It doesn't matter what the what the object is in Thor because it's a Tom MacGuffin and and the plot just moves on around it. But the ether here and what the ether is doing is actually important to the plot. That is a very, very key difference. No, I I disagree. I don't think it is. I I really think you're demanding more. I don't think people were confused as to this would be bad if such and such got it, which is the same simple level of Tesseract in the first movie. The difference is in this film, what how it would be bad and how it operates as i've said is important to what is going on because it is affecting people and it is it, it, it is dramatically important to the plot and mm-hmm. to how how the characters are behaving 
And if you do not explain that, then I'm just I'm just completely lost. I need some a little bit of context. Like to me, this movie was so intent on ex- just getting making things bigger. Like yeah. we have to delve into all of this more mythology and all the different nine realms, but they didn't explain it in a way that made a whole lot of sense to me. It was just like, here's some more stuff. Make sense of it what you will. Like like what you're telling me now about mm-hmm. okay, well, Natalie Portman is mortal and therefore she can't use it in the same way the Dark Elves use it. That makes sense to me. That was not in the movie. I don't mean to be so confrontational, Rod. I apologize. That's fine. (laughs) This movie just irritated me. Okay, my next question, Rod. What is accursed? Because there are certain Dark Elves that are members of the cursed, and they, like, squish something in their hand, and it makes them super powerful, and I was like, what is that? And who are they? And how come they can't die? Uh, I kind of took it as an analogy for like a suicide bomber. They would put that in themselves. They would turn into like fire, be this superhuman or this super monster thing. And then they die out. But what is it? What, what do you mean? Well, they wouldn't die out right away. No, no. Yeah. You, it's not immediate, but you know, they could do some damage. Yeah. Like at first it reminded me of Extremis. From Iron Man three, but then I was like, "Well, no, what is it? Is it is it like part of the ether that they're looking for?" Uh, no, it's its own thing. It's it's like a little grenade that they put inside like their chest or whatever, and they go and attack people. Maybe Andrew is right. Maybe we're looking at it wrong, Monica. Maybe we should be asking more questions. Um, I know what kind of questions would you like to ask? Why is the Asgardians like? Why are they? considered gods at all you know like what can even really kill them i mean the mom dies from getting stabbed and then thor and loki end up getting beat up the whole movie and they always live you know like what you know what is that why does odin have to take a long nap but no one else ever has to take a long nap uh, (laughs) in this universe here's a question i that was raised in one review i read how come when the dark elves come back after five thousand years Asgardian technology hasn't developed at all to where the Dark Elves are still a threat. Right. Like, why are are they filming this and showing it to us? Like, how did no one in that universe see a camera? I do not know. Is this a documentary? Right. It's almost like it's a movie or something where they expect us to, like, I don't know, want to see fantastical things. That's just, this movie, they they were throwing out so much stuff. You got the cursed, you got the dark elves, you got this ether stuff, you got these additional realms, you've got the Savartal theme. And I was just like, slow down, please. Let's go step by step. Why don't Tony Stark's feet get hot in the Iron Man suit? (laughs) They're that close to thrusters, and no one else has, you know, like any other thruster technology would have burned his feet to crisp, you know, years ago. (laughs) We have there's nothing that can cool you that fast that in the known no, world. No, it's a it's a it's a very well insulated suit. I need him to explain that. I need a 12 minute scene <laughs> in every Iron Man explaining that. I mean, I feel like you're just being hypercritical of the movie because you didn't enjoy it, but but I feel like your questions are ridiculous. The the, the movie is literally just oh, there's a bad guy who wants to do bad things. And that's the extent of the plot. The first movie is Thor, you're spoiled. And five minutes after going, what's a cup? He's back to being cool again. (laughs) He understands all about humility and humanity because he met a hot chick that's a scientist. 
Thor's journey, in the first film, Thor's journey makes total sense to me. Oh he's my cast God. out. He goes through a series of progressions where at first he's like trying to get the hammer and he can't get the hammer and he has to go through all of these steps before he finally has the humility. You got to deal with impotence is what it is. He goes through all the steps. The steps are try to pick up the hammer. I can't pick it up. <laughs> now I can pick it up because I'm Seven sad. stages of grief. It's not, it's not deep. Stop trying. The first movie is not is not that good. It's so simple to me that it's actually bad. But see, yeah, the, I will agree with you. The first movie is simple. It's too simple. It's child's fair. I think it's it's simple, but they use the screen time to develop it and develop the characters and make them interesting. And they, it feels like a, a, a really well done story to me overall. Yeah, it's a simple story, but it's a, a, a story with a lot of different elements to it and a lot of different layers to it that I can easily follow. It's only simple because you didn't ask the same level of questions. It's not that much more simple. If you you could have been asking the same levels of questions, like why does he have armor now just because he put on his hammer? Like where did that come from? That isn't integral to the plot. I'm saying the things that I have questions about in Thor: The Dark World are integral to the plot. Why Asgardian technology didn't develop is integral to the plot, dude. No, it's not. What the ether is and how it works and who the dark elves are and what exactly they want and what's going to happen when they destroy the universe and what's going to happen to them. Like th- these are all important things setting up who they are and what they want i don't think they are i don't think they are that important i think it's just i think it's just as simple as when you have aim and iron man 3 it's not really that important we just know they're the new bad guys i hated iron man 3 yeah i don't like iron man 3 that much either but but the point being it wasn't because i was like i need to know more about aim it was like aim is just not sufficiently entertaining Mm -hmm. to me like in this movie, um, and with all matter of fact, you know, to take it to the comic books, kind of in all Thor mythology, the main focus is pretty much his relationship with his brother and his father. And that's pretty that's pretty much all, like all the stories pretty much exist to manipulate that relationship and see how they interact with each other in different interesting ways. Like in the first movie, I even understood. I just didn't think that the changes they went through were very interesting. They were very rudimentary because they were just introducing these characters. Where in this movie, I actually was interested in the way that they interacted because more stuff was happening to affect those personal relationships that had been established through this and Avengers. Oh, man, I had the exact opposite response. Like the first Thor, you're right. It's all about family and those family relationships. And the first Thor, I thought, did a pretty good job of establishing how the characters feel about each other and and showing those relationships change and evolve. The sequel, though, because they're so focused on expanding the world and the universe and the mythology and bringing in all the dark elves and and all this stuff with the convergence and the ether and, and all this stuff, it really distracts, I think, from those characters and those family issues like honestly i feel like the characters at the end of thor 2 are the exact same as they were at the beginning pretty much andrew i will give you this the movie did not have enough of loki mm-hmm. he was not sexy enough. could have done more he hair very, tosses a lot of scenes <laughs> you know he got he got disheveled in a lot in, the, in one of the scenes and he was looking a hot mess that's character development <laughs> oh yeah oh well no i wouldn't say it knocking his acting but you know as uh as being a hollywood hunk uh that was one of those moments where you're like oh man you gotta get yourself together bro got shave that <laughs> chin there but i will say this though man i disagree with you because i feel like the relationships were actually more complicated and better for me 
And because they've been established so well uh, through Avengers specifically, it actually was better. Like in Thor, Odin spends most of the movie asleep. You know, it's like Anthony Hawkins read the script and was like, y'all wake me when this shit is over with. (laughs) (laughs) And in this movie, we actually get to see them interact with their father more or especially Thor more and we get to see his father become disheveled when he loses his wife and is like mm-hmm. fuck diplomacy yeah and so we see the lesson from the first movie and we see that Thor did not only did he learn it but he did like he he's now more of a king than his father is in this situation and that's a huge moment to me that is earned in this movie unlike the change in the first movie, which is completely unearned. He didn't even go through anything bad, really, to develop his honor that would enable him to pick up the hammer in the first movie. It just didn't feel like things got bad enough for him. He goes to Earth, meets a hot chick, takes a vacation, finds out his dad died, and he's like, now I can pick up a hammer. This this was way more intimate movie, and especially between him and Loki, I specifically like the scene, you know, how with the mother involved, where you get to kind of get in Loki's head and you see him being like, well, Thor and father, they haven't come to visit me and and you have. And, you know, when Thor does come to visit, he's like, basically, what took you so long? And he's being smug and he's like, hey, enough with these illusions. And then you see like this where it's just this was a facade. You know, this this guy is broken genuinely because he did love their mother regardless of his you're not my parents you know rantings and gallivantings and these other in the first movie and this like you kind of get to see a different relationship and you get to see them kind of need each other and go on this you know this adventure where you know one guy's gonna betray the other and all this stuff but like to me some of that banter right there was my favorite in the movie just watching them go back and forth and forth and the relationship of can i trust you can i not I know it's in your nature to betray me. How are you going to do it? I thought it was all excellent. I liked what they were going for. I didn't feel like the execution was really there 100%. Like, I, I liked how it's all about what is Loki really feeling? Uh, is he really on Thor's side now? Um, I like the scene when they finally confront the Dark Elves, and then you think that Thor got his hand chopped off, and actually it was an illusion, and, yeah. and it seems like Loki's good, and he's redeeming himself. Did you buy that moment when he cut his hand off? Because I that was the way that I was like, damn, they got me, because I really was like, this motherfucker cut his hand off. Like, what? Yeah, like, I, I yeah. bought it, too. I bought it, too. Yeah, and I felt like that's something that if I wasn't really invested or believing in this fiction they created— it would have never got me because it's so obvious in hindsight. Like, duh, he does illusions. There's no way that that, that just doesn't even make sense. They just were saying, what about the plan? Literally. And now I'm going, I can't believe this dude cut his brother's hand off. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Rod, Mm -hmm. but Loki never actually shapeshifts in the first Thor or in the Avengers, correct? Like he always, he only does that trick where he like makes multiple holograms of himself. Um, I think he does because isn't at the end, he's the doctor, but he's really himself at the, after the credits when he has the test. No, no, no. I thought, I thought it was like, because you know, in Thor, he like can appear to Thor out of the, uh, reflection Mm -hmm. or whatever when, when Thor's locked up by shield and they have that final little confrontation, that little conversation. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, when the post credit scene, I thought that Loki was just kind of there in the background 
unseen whispering to the doctor. I didn't think he actually was okay. the doctor. He was just influencing. Yeah, him. I'm not. I'm not 100% sure on that. I know, yeah. but in the comic books, he can do that, and he's a master of illusion. In the first movie, they talk about him being a master of illusion, but what I liked in this movie was they mm-hmm. brought his mother in and kind of explained, like, she is where he gets that from, mm-hmm. which I thought was a subtly nice, you know, way to slide that in, that little difference between the brothers and the kind of, you know, where the trickster gets his gift and that he would be upset that his mother died because that was, you know, he took her heritage and like that is his legacy now. So I thought that was kind of smooth how they slid that in. But it, it, you're right. I don't remember him doing it in the first two movies either. That might be why the moment where Thor supposedly gets his arm chopped off works because we've never seen Loki's shape shift until this film yeah and all they really have is that quick little scene where he like becomes captain america oh so good they're having like this jokey little conversation so good good. man god damn this movie was good it's weird because that whole scene happened where where it looked like thor got his hand chopped off and then when they had the reveal part of me was really impressed Mm -hmm. like oh man you pulled one over on me right and then part of me felt a little bit cheated Mm -hmm. like oh you just now introduced that into this film so you could do that Mm -hmm. you know yeah you're probably right but i didn't feel yeah i just felt like oh you got me yeah yeah i I like getting got a little bit you know i didn't feel cheated because i I, like you said they kind of earned it in the scene before using it as a goof you know which made me be like oh in my mind i think i just accepted like oh yeah of course he Mm -hmm. can do that like why wouldn't he be able to do that he can already do the other shit and now it's like yeah, I guess uh, I guess he never has done that before. New shit. Well, Tom Hiddleston does such a good job in this movie that when he has his death scene, I really liked that scene, even though I wasn't quite on board with his redemption, mm-hmm. quote unquote, because the whole movie, it's been unclear. Is he good or is he bad? Right. That when they finally kill him, supposedly, and, he's, and you're like, oh, I guess he's good. I don't know. It just didn't really have much of an impact on me as I think it could have it like it most of it worked but I don't know I just felt I felt like something was missing I felt like like at that moment I was like he's not dead yeah oh really yeah one he's Todd he's Hiddleston (laughs) cannot kill off that money cow (laughs) you do not do that that's a good that's a good that's a tumbler money (laughs) (laughs) right Number two, he can't die. He's like Thor. He can't die. And if anybody wants to do a little extra research, a little bit of a comic book geek or whatever, I think on Netflix there's a streaming, uh, one of those like action comic things that kind of like motion comics. And I think it's called Thor Loki Blood Brothers. And I would advise everybody check that out. Um, It's very theatrical. It's heavy on the dialogue. But the basic premise is, Thor is like a force in the universe that cannot exist without Loki. And Loki can never conquer Thor because in his nature, he is so ambitious, he could never be number one. He doesn't know how to rule. He only knows how to scheme and plot to become a ruler, you know? And this movie, and especially since Joss Whedon really encapsulated in in the sec in uh, Avengers, it really does a good job of like playing with that element. And so I never at any point thought, well, we've seen the last of Loki. I was like, okay, he just fooled Thor satisfactorily into uh, believing that he's dead. And that just gives him free reign to wreak havoc now that he can turn into anyone. See, 
I liked overall the stuff with Loki mm-hmm. for most of the film. Uh, I, I don't think it was quite done as well as it could have been, but overall I was on board with it. And then that final scene ruined it for me. Really? That's the yes. scene that makes me go, honestly, that made me go, Thor 3 is going to be fucking sick. <laughs> because as far as Odin knows, Thor just was like, fuck you, I'm staying in Earth. You know what I mean? Like, that is going to be a problem. He would have never let that motherfucker go back to Earth for that chick. Yeah. He was like, he you know, if, if he would have wanted him to be king, he would have been like, you're now going to be king because that's your fucking birthright and that's what you do. I'm not just giving up my fucking heir to the throne just because you fell in love with a chick. That is, that's like falling in love with a puppy. It's going to die in seven years. I cannot let you do this, right? So I, that would have been a huge point of contention and it made me like more intrigued like i can't wait to see all the chaos that happens in thor 3 with this relationship now that loki can kind of be anybody and they all think he's dead see again as i told monica this in part one i felt like kind of like what you're saying i felt like this entire movie served no purpose except to get people excited for upcoming movies and like that final reveal with loki is is now on the throne it just completely undid everything that we had seen from Loki before that in the film. I feel like you could technically say that about every single movie in this franchise. Well, like you were talking about how you really loved how it seemed like Loki was like really upset by the death of his mother. And I agree. I like that about the character. And I, I like how it looked like in that the, his final moments he was redeemed. That was something concrete we could grasp onto with the character. Mm-hmm. And now with that final reveal, it's like, oh, well, no, I guess he wasn't really that upset about his mother or he wasn't really. He was upset because he helped Thor. He's a schemer by nature, Andrew. He cannot not scheme. He was upset and he helped Thor to the extent that he is possible of helping Thor. But he is going to always betray and plot. It is in his nature. He will never not be that way. It's the way the character will always be written. He'll never die as long as Thor is alive. And he will always be a fucking problem. So to me, that was a development for his character while also keeping true to his character. What you would have seen is if he would have literally achieved redemption and died in that movie, you would have seen all hell break loose with comic book fans for real. Because they would have been like, nope, that character would never do that. And this director or writer does not respect the source material to change a character fundamentally like that. Well, well, here's the problem, Rod. Because of that final reveal, I now once again feel like I have nothing for the character to grasp onto. Like I, I'm now, I'm no longer sure. It did was he upset when the mother died, or did he, or was that all part of his plan to eventually trick Thor and gain power? But that is the beauty of that character, though. You don't see that. You don't see that element as how like that's why Loki is still interesting to people because you never really know where he's coming from. Like the only way like you can assess his actions for so long in the comic books because he's such as he's a schemer and a plotter. He's not, a you know, a physical guy that comes on and beats people up. He's like he can only maneuver through the and, you know, and the only things you know about Loki for sure. He's never going to die and he will betray motherfuckers. That's all you know. Well, see, I liked him in the first film because ultimately, yeah, he was a schemer and he was tricking people, but he had an ultimate goal. He wanted to please Odin and destroy the Frost Giants. He wanted to, everything he was doing was to please his father. He had a goal. In the Avengers, he had a goal. It was to enslave mankind or whatever and help the Shatari do what they do. And that's why he was so tricky. 
But his goal has his goal has always been the same. And even even in this one, it said it. His goal is to have a throne. He even said he the reason he took over he wanted to take over Earth is to have a throne. He feels he deserves it. Uh, right. Even when it looks like oh he just wants to please his father, he's so ambitious. Even if he were able to get the throne, he wouldn't be able to keep it because he's fundamentally fucked up. He's a fuck. He's an orphan that is fucked up, man. That's mainly what I was left questioning. Mm-hmm. Like now, is that is that really? Are we? Am I supposed to take away from Thor two that that was what Loki wanted all along? That was his main priority. Everything, including even possibly his grief over his mother, was a trick designed to eventually put him in this place where he can take the throne. That is highly possible. Because remember that part where he tells her, you aren't my mother? Right. Like, it could, it is highly possible that he was like, I'm going to use this to my advantage to get free. It really depends on what you want to believe. And honestly, I don't think the film needs to define that because that is an element of that character. Like, if they came out and, and de- definitely said it was all a trick or it was never a trick, it still would be like uh, it would almost be a violation of the way the character's written. I like it better with us talking about it afterwards. Like I'm, I'm fine with him being a trickster, but I, th- I just feel like you have to give me something real. You gotta, you gotta at least confirm to me something about him. You have to at least confirm to me that he did grieve for his mother, or he was at one point trying to be redeemed. Otherwise, he's just a character. That really, sir, he's a walking plot device. He really will just do whatever the writers need him to do. And that's not interesting. One, he is a walking plot device, as all characters are. Well, no, no, no. Characters can be characters. No, no, he's a, no. In this universe they've created where he's been in three movies, he's a walking plot device. He is. Okay, well, Monica, what's what's your take on Loki and how he's presented in this film? I don't know. I said I I liked how he was presented in this film. I like the ambiguity of his character. And yes, unfortunately, it's held over your head. You don't know what his M.O. is at the end of the movie. It's a stay tuned for next week's episode sort of thing. So unfortunately, you have to wait another two years until you you see him or so, even though he's not going to come back for Avengers 2. So it's whenever he pops up again. And for the record, he has been a walking plot device for three movies now. I disagree with you there. In Avengers, they're like he it could have been anyone to do the role he was because he was just a middleman. Yeah, yeah. He's just a bad dude. He was it wasn't really about him. It was, hey, I want to let these people come do my dirty work for me because he's not like that type of guy. He's always scheming and plotting. Uh and in the first Thor, he's kind of a um plot device there too, with the whole, oh, dad's dead. Uh well, uh, Stay on Earth. Don't come back home or anything. Bye. Like, it's all to get Thor's development into this hero as opposed to this uh, spoiled, selfish brat. So you could technically say that Loki as a character is a walking, talking plot device throughout the Thor mythology in the comic books and the movies. I don't think he was a plot device in the first film. In the first film, he actually does seem to be an actual two- to three-dimensional character who's questioning his identity, what he wants, what his goals are, and then finally, by the end of the film, he seems to have realized what those are. In in this movie, they made him such a schemer and such a double-crosser to such an extent that now he's he's empty to me because I can never be sure of anything he says. That's an interesting element to that character, though. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting element, and, th- and there, are, there are lots of really good villains 
throughout cinema history where you're like, oh, I never know if I can trust this person. But there was always other stuff to their characters that you could latch onto that made them a person. They weren't just defined by their untrustworthiness. But now, Okay, now I am getting a little frustrated <laughs> because we have the other two movies. This isn't a new character. This is the same guy that is three-dimensional in the first movie. They're just adding layers to this same guy. I don't think they added any layers. I think they pared him down and they just they just uh, reduced him to merely being a guy who who can't be trusted. No, he, he he's is. always been a guy that can't be trusted. They added the layers when it comes to, you know, this relationship with his mother. Thank when you. it comes yeah. to this, uh, is he grieving or is he not? Like, you are ignoring this stuff on purpose just so you can shit on this movie, and it's unfair. And the Avengers, he's totally not a three-dimensional character. I agree with you there. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying is... I'm I'm with you. Like if what you were describing, it, like if we did not have that final scene of him on the throne, I would be with you for the most part. But because of that final scene, now that makes me question everything about him. In the first Thor, you could question whether or not he could be trusted, but you never questioned he 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 wants his father's approval. He wants to. Uh, destroy the frost giants. He right. wants. He, he had certain goals that you were sure this is what he wanted. In this movie, I'm not quite sure what he wants. Except now, I guess he wanted to be on the throne, and he can't be trusted. And and that's it. It's funny how you're saying that and you're glossing over it. You just are telling me that he developed as a character because he <laughs> now has gone away with his need for approval for his father. He's done away with his need for love from his brother. He is now becoming more of a pure, like a just an instrument of I want power and ambition and I will plot that. Like he's becoming more of a selfish id as opposed to this guy who started out as kind of a sympathetic orphan that was adopted by this magical God family. Okay, so here's my question for you, Rod. Mm -hmm. In the Avengers, he wanted to rule. Mm -hmm. That was it. No, he wanted to humiliate his brother and to rule. Okay, well now at the end of Thor 2, it seems like he still just wants to rule, and I can't trust anything else that happened in Thor 2 regarding his mother or his feelings for her. So to me, that feels like they're just spinning their wheels. They're not developing him in any way. That or you got trust issues. <laughs> because of that final reveal, I cannot believe fully anything that they showed us before about his character. Right. But that's good, though, Andrew. That's not bad. That's, that's better. No, it's ambiguity. Yeah. Yes. Like, I don't understand. Enjoy like, it. Who are you, like, why would you want them to define the, a person of this type of character? Spoil the surprise. It would make him a worse character if we knew no. his motivations at, all the time. Like, it's better that we yeah. are left questioning. You need to leave us questioning, but you you shouldn't leave us questioning everything. I feel like only you're questioning everything for the record. Like you're saying that, but I don't agree. I think he when he said, "Don't trust me, trust my rage," and then goes about the plan that Thor wanted him to go about. Like I do feel that him even enabling Thor to go off and get save his love and get his vengeance and all of this shit is still a a motivation that he genuinely seemed to have. And would get accomplished, and as a bonus, he could get that motherfucker out of his life. Okay, Rod, did he care about his mother and her death? I believe he did. You believe he did, but yeah. earlier you said it's not clear. No, I said it's the. they left it up to us. It's like the coin at the end of Inception. Some people are going to walk away and go, 
okay, I, I, this is what happened. And some people aren't. You know what I mean? I feel like they left, they and, and rightfully so, for the record, not by mistake or I think by design, they left it up to us to say, what do you think Loki's intentions were? They are questionable. By the way, he's still alive and more shit will happen in part three to, to further along his character. It's not my job to create the character. It's oh not my, my job to decide who the character is. It's, it's what are you the talking writer's about? job. I feel like this is not a character. This is now the writer saying, uh, maybe he's good, maybe he's bad, maybe he did this, maybe he didn't, maybe he felt this way, maybe he didn't. You decide. And that is not interesting to me at all. You got to give me at least something. You can make him untrustworthy. You can make him. Is he untrustworthy if you know exactly what's on his mind, though? Is it really untrustworthy? It, like, is, am I really, am I even going to be intrigued if I actually am like, oh, well, no, he's had genuine character development and now he's a good guy. That doesn't even make no, intrigue. No. I'm not saying make him a good guy. I'm saying confirm to us that something he felt, some part of him was real and not just a ploy. They don't have to confirm that. You're you're I feel like you're adding that in to shit on the movie, but you don't they don't have to confirm that and it's I not only do I say they don't have to, I say the movie is made better because they don't. Definitively better. I'm happy it worked for you, Rod, but yes, and most people. I do not care about Loki anymore as a result okay. of this film. Right. I, I am not interested That's in That's fine, as a Rod, and I will take him just fine. I actually don't believe you, and I feel like you've been faking all of your emotions to get to the end of this review. <laughs> you untrustworthy. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I love Tom Hiddleston, and I think Tom Hiddleston gives a great performance. Apparently not. You don't care about this character. I don't think people that love him would You're care. Right. I don't care about the character anymore. Then you don't I think love Tom him. Tom Hiddleston's doing a great job with what is now an empty character who serves no purpose except for to make the audience go, ooh. Is that really what he thinks? Wait, so Loki, the god of mischief, has now <laughs> made you not be able to trust Again, him. Again, I have no problem with mischief. <laughs> that is me. It means it worked, Andrew. It worked. The fact that you are feeling these uneasy feelings towards these, this character as a untrustworthy question mark of vapidness, that is exactly who this character is. It took them three movies to get here, but this is what Loki is in the comic books. And it's what he should be in the movies from now on. Well, then Loki in the comics is not a character. And that is not interesting to me. Oh, okay. And I do not want to see that. I'm sure 500 issues of no character have been made. Come on, man. <laughs> He's a character. You don't respect it. Again, I have no problem if you want to make Loki mischievous and question 99% of what he does. But you have to give us at least 1% of something to latch onto so I know this is a person and not just whatever the writers feel like the movie needs. That 1% is the fact that he went through with the revenge for Thor. I think if he truly felt nothing, he wouldn't have helped Thor. That's what I thought. But see, now with that final scene, I'm left wondering, oh, well, maybe that was all a lie. Well, there's a scene, there's a scene where the guard tells him Thor's not down there to see this shit. The guard is gone. The guard tells him his mother dies. He turns his back and walks away from the books that she gave him and immediately has a power burst that destroys the room and a burst of emotion. And I, I don't think that that would have to that like that part is not strategically planned. There's no one around to impress with that part of the plan. Like I, I can easily like to me, I think and most of the audience would buy that as, oh, this guy's genuinely upset that this woman died. I will grant you that. Thank I you. I will grant you that. That's Thank you. That's, that's your one percent. 
<laughs> okay, my final question for you regarding the that final scene. Where's Odin? What happened to Odin? Yeah, that's that's the thing I noticed too, right? Because when the guard comes back and they show that little hand of green power before he hops back on the ship, so I'm assuming that motherfucker's mm-hmm. dead. When he comes back, there's also no one around with Odin except him yeah. and the guard, which is Loki. And then in that last scene, there's no one around except Odin and Thor, which kind of like makes me believe that Loki's using his death to impersonate these other people to manipulate his family, which happens in comic a lot, by the way, to manipulate his family and stuff without anyone knowing he's alive and without them being the wiser. I mean, it's an old Shakespearean device. I didn't really question it because it like I understood what the point of that, uh, you know, what that plot point was trying to convey. It just raised so many questions in my mind, like, where's Odin and how did Loki manage to... Uh to do this, faking his own death and what Stay tuned for movie number three. It's the nine realms, right? So technically, as long as he's not in that room, it doesn't really fucking matter where he's at, you know? He was asleep the whole first movie. Nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> so, so when Loki gets stabbed through the chest, mm-hmm. it's not a hologram. It appears like he actually did get stabbed through the chest. Or is that all some sort of illusion? Technically, you know, the sword could have been the hologram. The person that stabbed him, maybe he made that the hologram. I mean, he's once he's the master of illusion and he just did the hand chop off fucking thing, I kind of feel like he must be able to do a lot. I mean, it's kind of obvious that, uh, you know, as a, as a master of illusion that whatever happened, Thor didn't really see. Like, there are some parts of what you're talking about with the characters, Rod, that are making me like them more. Mm-hmm. And then there are other things you say that just make me hate it more. Like, now I'm just starting to get the impression that the Marvel Universe is nothing but, oh, this object and these characters, they're they are just powerful. And yeah. their abilities are not really de- well defined, so they can just do whatever we want them to. That's what I told you about the Tesseract, and you were cool with that shit, but, I to- but it's all the same. <laughs> I was kind of curious when, like, Loki did get stabbed, like, how did he survive that? Mm-hmm. Just because... Again, uh, both when you see the mother's hologram and when he does the other hologram is that when he gets touched, the Mm -hmm. hologram fades or his illusion breaks. So how did that happen? And it obviously hurt the creature because the creature turned around and was like pissed Mm -hmm. and then stabs him with a sword. So I was kind of curious. Was that creature there? Well, he was hitting Thor before. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty real. That's not a hologram. I don't know, man. I'm wondering. Because yeah. they're not, they're not like physical beings. It's just you yeah. know, it's a hologram. I wonder if that sword was there. Then. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, because the re- creature reacts to it. And the other thing too is they're kind of gods, so they can't really die. That's like the loosely defined mythology of that Thor realm. Is one of the reasons I didn't like the book. Mm-hmm. Is because it's very like, oh, this guy got hurled into the sun and he survived this month. Next month, he gets hit with a sword and he's sick for a week. And then the next month, you know, he dives into a volcano and comes out and he's okay. And and it was very like, what are the rules kind of with these quote unquote Greek gods or Norse gods or whatever. So it always bothered me. The main thing that you should remember is that. As long as Thor's alive, Loki will be alive. It's almost biblical. It's like a yin and yang thing. Yeah, they cannot exist without one one another. And one will always cause chaos, and one will always try to bring order. The mom dies, so obviously the gods can die. Right. Yeah, that, like I said, that, I 
that that's one of the things that's always turned me off from the comic yeah. books is because I didn't like the way they define godhood. And it was like, if this convenient for the clot, then this person can die. But this shit wasn't convenient for the plot. So this motherfucker's still alive. So like I said, watch Thor Loki Blood Brothers if if you get a chance. That was this whole movie to me. That like that's just my biggest problem with the film is I can't figure out what the rules are. And you keep bringing up the Tesseract rod. The Tesseract actually is important to the Avengers and my biggest problem with the Avengers is that first 15 minutes mm. with the Tesseract where all this stuff is happening. And hey, it's also important in Captain mm-hmm. America. So. I guess. I didn't care for Captain America. Captain America was okay. And at the end of Thor, but going back to the Tesseract for a second, it is the magical whatever you want it to be. And people pretty much universally praise Avengers. So it's like, I feel like it's when people like something then it's like, okay, yeah, it didn't matter. It was just a thing that needed to be whatever. I just enjoyed this movie, the dialogue, character interactions, blah, blah, blah. And I think when people don't like stuff, then it's like, well, how did Batman walk back from the pit? Like, it's like, okay, we, yeah, obviously you didn't like this movie. Well, I can handle one all-powerful, vague object within reason. Like, the Avengers, there was stuff I didn't like about the Tesseract, but I was willing to go with it. But now you're giving me the ether and now you're giving me these quote-unquote infinity stones in the post-credit scene and there's apparently like six of them mm-hmm. and i'm just like what are all of these infinity stones just vague all-powerful objects that can do whatever the writers want them to do now they, they kind of are close they oh are. my god <laughs> like the, there's there's one that does time one supposed to do space but yeah they kind of are man i don't think you do well with the comic book world andrew what was very ironic this is the most defined they have ever been, which is very funny. Like, it's funny to me to listen to, like, people that just are familiar <laughs> with the movies be like, what do they do? It's like, you get more than we did, buddy. Like, there was never <laughs> any of these fights over these gems and shit before Thanos showed up. Oh, man. If the if the future Marvel movies in Phase 3 is just going to be more Infinity Stones and whatever all-powerful object can do whatever all-powerful thing the writers want, that's just, ah, uh, that is not interesting to me. I cannot handle it. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. I hope I can get on the uh, on you guys Guardians of the Galaxy review. Oh, Rod, we're t- we're just gonna we're gonna bring you back that's gonna be for amazing. like every big superhero movie until <laughs> we find one that you and I agree on. All right, that's fine with me, man. I that's what's I, gonna I don't, I don't I, like I. This is funny, man, because like I wasn't that excited for this movie because I hated the first one. And then, like I said, the road trip and all this traveling and shit. And I was like, well, maybe I can try to watch it tonight after I take a nap and I'll do the review tomorrow. And it was like, oh, let's do the review tonight. And I was like, OK, I got to see it. I cannot believe I enjoyed this movie so much. I was really expecting to be like, this is some shit. Why would you guys make me waste two hours of my life? I was going to come complain. But uh, no, I love this movie. I hope they can make more movies of this quality uh, now that Whedon has helped define these characters more. Maybe it's an expectations thing, because I did like the first Thor film, so maybe I was setting myself up for disappointment, but I found myself wishing that the film felt more like the first Thor movie. I feel like if you like the first Thor film, you should pretty much like anything that people put on a screen in front of you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really surprised. <laughs> like, like honestly, yeah. like I was, I was thinking about it, and I realized, okay, the first Thor movie was kind of a fish out of water story in the second act there, where Thor is just kind of on Earth trying to figure out what's going on, and you got some nice funny moments there. I was wondering why we didn't get any fish out of water stuff with Jane on Asgard. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that could that was ripe for comedy, but they didn't really do much with that. Yeah. And honestly, most of the humor in this film didn't work for me, except for. 
a few lines with Darcy in the second half. What, Thor hanging up his hammer didn't work for you? Yeah. Not really. (laughs) The line that did get a genuine laugh from me was when Darcy sees the hammer fly by and and she's just like, Mew, mew! And I was like, okay, that was a nice callback to the first film. Now, here's one of the things that um, is very funny. I think that's one of the reasons I like this film, and it's become probably my second of the Marvel spinoff films after Iron Man, is that I did enjoy the humor. And, and it really did connect with me. And especially in a time where people are trying to, and I hate to use this word, but Nolanize all the hero folklore, get very serious and dark and Mm -hmm. whatnot. I love the juxtaposition of a the darkness is coming plot as there's also this almost 180 with some of the like humor beats and and, and notes from Darcy's character. Even uh, the professor was funny in this one. Eric Selvig, um, his character was actually uh, funny dealing with the uh, post-hypnosis world where he thought he was crazy. That stuff worked for me a lot more in this film where I found those characters to be kind of annoying in the first film. See, I liked the first film because I I did think it was pretty funny. And you're right. It it reminds me of the first Iron Man film and that it does a good job of blending in comedy with all of the action. I'll take it a step further. To me, it blended in better than Iron Man because the third act, most directors at this point direct the third act of a superhero film with the seriousness of like a fucking slave movie where it's just like people are dying everything is gonna change after this can't you see a man of steel right this but this one is like a lot of jokes in between like the the stuff they did with the space time warp type stuff and i really liked how jane foster was uh useful this time around appreciate you for that marvel thank you i did not like her in the first movie and i wanted to die in this movie until the last scene and i was like hey she's using her science to do stuff thank you that actually made this film way better because to me it would have been more boring to see a straight up fight between thor and this guy like the part where he gets transported to the subway and goes how long to greenwich and they're like three stops (laughs) fucking beautiful man so i i really enjoyed this third act because they kept it light And I think that was a gutsy choice, a very gutsy choice in a time where we are trying to serious up these hero movies. I think that the third act was conceptually very well done with just the idea of having all of these portals and having, uh, you know, there's the convergence happening. So characters are constantly zapping back and forth between realms. I think that was that's a, a good idea. Once again, I found myself a little bit Confused with the uh, with the tech mm-hmm. that Professor Selvig pulled out. I was trying to figure out, like, okay, so they're somehow directing the portals. They said they can stabilize the portals uh, long enough, I guess, for Thor to to fight this dude on Earth. But then they also could manipulate that those space time hole things uh, with the machine that um, Jane Foster had which I think just added so many good comedic elements. Like, you know, when they had the part where, you know, they set up the whole, like, it'll make some light, some objects denser and some less dense and it'll affect gravity. Uh, but they set up the part where uh, Ian, or I think it was his name, the intern, Ian. Ian, when he knocks the car down on the three guys and then Darcy's like, you saved my life. And then <laughs> a couple of minutes later, they teleport them to their location and she's holding him like the woman 
kissing him like in the typical like you know the typical pose where like a man is holding a woman as she leans back and i thought that was just so cute and funny in the middle of the earth and everything we know about to die it was a nice funny moment but once again i was struggling to keep up with the mechanics of it so maybe you caught something that i missed so this tech that jane and the professor have like at one point they're demonstrating what it does and they make darcy and ian disappear Mm -hmm. And then they pop out somewhere else. On yeah, and she didn't mean she away. didn't mean to do that. Remember, she didn't mean to. Okay, well, Darcy goes get the guy with the sword, and she goes got him. And then uh, Jay Foster goes got him. Oops! And then they show Darcy and uh, Ian by a car like a block or so away, and they start running for their lives. And the guys with the swords are still there. Right. I was just trying to figure out. Okay, so this tech that they have that they're using to control the portals. So they can zap someone away. Mm-hmm. Are they also controlling where that thing pops out? No. No, it did not seem like they knew where That's it was going to pop random? out. That's just random? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just like reverse the polarities, push them through the other side of the hole. I liked conceptually and visually everything that was happening. I was just not following. It, it mm. seemed very chaotic and random to me. Like, oh, there's the, Jane is causing a portal here, and then randomly they're now over here. Yeah. But also, because of the convergence, other portals are just ra- happen- happening randomly. Yeah, that was by design, and to me, added a lot of uh, humor and funniness, like a lot of options you can do with a fight that typically would have just been a straight-up destroy-the-city fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you now have, you know, Thor going through another planet, is hammered. So, right. You know, like, just st- stuff that uh, I just thought was uh, very interesting. I thought it was very interesting, too. I thought I think it's a great idea. I just wish it had been a little bit more coherent. Like, mm. it, it seemed kind of inspired by the ga- the video game Portal. Right, it did feel like that. But would it be as fun if it was more, quote-unquote, coherent? Like, would it feel as random? I think it would. I think it would allow characters a little bit more... Their actions would feel a little bit more intentional. There'd be a little bit more strategy. Like, oh, I know that if I put a portal here, you're going to come out on this place, so I'm going to use that to my advantage. And it, I, I just, it, it felt a little bit too random and chaotic to me that then finally, when they defeat the bad guy, I was like, well, it just seems kind of lucky that the bad guy ended up there, and now the big thing is going to come crashing down on him there, too. Well, their thing was that they couldn't get those to- poles close enough to the guy, by the way. And, and then Thor was like, well, I can do right. it. I'm the only one who can do it. So, like, that's one of the reasons it was random, as opposed to, like, being organized and orderly was because uh, that dude was like, I'm actually not going to let y'all do that. Although they knew exactly where he would need to be to, you know, darken up the Nine Realms. Whatever that means. Yeah, yeah. darken up the darken Nine it Realms. Up. I think it was an allegory for, uh, you know, gentrification. Personally, <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and I, I like how the hammer... Like, it keeps going back and forth trying to find yes. Thor. I like when it left the Earth, where he went to a realm, and it was just like, okay, he's this way. Let me just go to space and find him. <laughs> right, that was great. Right. But see, again, that confused me, too, because it made me wonder again, okay, the dark world, is this another planet or is this another dimension? Mm-hmm. And so when they destroy the universe, it's not going to destroy them because they're in another dimension. But no, apparently it is actually another planet. Mm-hmm. It's just really, 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 really far this away. This is one of the problems with, and I you know, I always thought this would be an issue for some people. It's one of the problems with integrating a book that is based off of Norse mythology 
into another a world of science and shit. It's like what I told you when we did the Avengers podcast, uh, um, Agents of Shield podcast. I mean. Mm-hmm. you're like well they're setting it up with science and rules and i was like they're going to violate these rules at some point because it's just what marvel does like they they write certain characters that are like man fuck science like they and they explain it away as like our science is super different science and you're like well that that doesn't make sense you know and something nonsensical will happen um and i want to see what's going to happen with you know avengers when they try to like you know add these guys back like when they try to integrate this stuff into the tv show because this is marvel they don't have the luxury of bringing their science to all different brands of writers and characters and comic books some some stuff is going to get thrown at you where you're like yeah that technically that didn't make any sense you just mentioned that whole, you were joking, but you said, a, is it an allegory for gentrification? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that the first Thor movie is a pretty clear Iraq war mm-hmm. allegory. And in this movie, I was a little bit disappointed that it didn't seem very concerned with ideas about power and responsibility and any of those themes, whether you want to make them political or not. Uh, you, you've convinced me that there was a little something there regarding Thor and how he now defies Odin mm-hmm. and, and, and doesn't want to just go to war. I'm surprised the movie didn't convince you of that. Cause it's so blatantly obvious. Like they take two scenes out. Like, cause even the scene after that, where the guy's like, why do you want to betray the throne? It's literally him sitting around explaining like, this is why we have to do this. It, it can't just be about war. And you know, I don't think this movie exists in a vacuum. That's definitely a callback to, wow, this guy has matured and changed. And his father, to a certain extent, is de-evolving because he's hurt now. Well, the opening scene where he's on that other world, Valdeheim or whatever mm-hmm. it is, supposedly bringing peace to the realm. I-, I was trying to figure out, okay, so are they achieving peace through war? Yep. In essence? Basically. That old paradox? Yep. But I mean, that's how peace is com- almost always achieved, right? I don't, I don't know. It, it seemed to me... Like, the first film was rejecting that notion that you can achieve peace through war. Like, Thor's attitude in the first film is kind of like, hey, let's just go kill all the Frost Giants, and there's going to be peace after we have this long war. That's not fair, then, because the first scene isn't like that. Like, the, 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 fir- like the Frost Giant scene is different than that first scene. That first scene in this one is, like, even when he beats the rock guy, it's like, do you guys give up or not? Like... Even he even tells I got like surrender like this isn't about us trying to um, you know wipe you guys out. We want to go well, no, put but you it, in but prison. But it's about we are going to we are going to violently intimidate you until you surrender. They were trying to take over that quote unquote peaceful planet though. Remember they had achieved peace and then the bridge broke and then they were unable to like. Well, I guess you could still make it the, about that if you want to. There is like a throwaway line or somewhere at some point where they said like bandits and vandals were were coming in and terrorizing the nine realms. So then Thor had to go out and set the peace. Yeah, and they weren't organized like in the first one. It was like all these blue frost giants. You can make allegories to them representing one thing. In this one, did you notice the bad guys are kind of like a? It's like they had a casting call for like Halloween costumes and just everybody came because. The bad guys weren't uniform. See, the bad guys, that's why I thought it was Lord of the Rings meets Star Trek. The bad guys just looked kind of like Klingons. Not, nah, but they look di- but for the record, they look different. different. They weren't all the same race or creatures. I get yeah, I guess that's true. So, that like I think that's a bit different of a message 
compared to the, you know, let's go all beat up the blue people. The other character element that I thought was really underdeveloped in this movie is the role of Jane and what she means to Thor. Mm -hmm. Because they set up this whole conflict like, oh, Thor, you can't be with Jane. You should be here with Sif. And then they just kind of ignore that, have this big old plot and all of this stuff that happens. And then at the end, it's, okay, go be with Jane. I, I just didn't feel like it did a very good job of diving into that that same old Lord of the Rings, uh, the whole thing that Aragorn had to go through with whatever his girlfriend's name was about, oh, one of you is immortal, the other one's not. What does that mean? Should you be with this person or not? And this movie brought up those ideas and then kind of just threw them aside. Wait, at what point does he get permission from, I guess, the crown or whatever to go hang out with Jane? Well, he thinks at the end. Right, he, he doesn't. At the end. Father. But, but he doesn't get real. permission. So it yeah. actually is an issue. Well, it's an issue. I, I'm just saying, I felt like they were leading up to like this being a, a character battle for him of some sort where like maybe he was going to consider being with Sif. But they, I don't know. It just felt like they, they kind of brought up that conflict and then left it. No, I think they kind of alluded to the fact that there could be a love rivalry at some point, but they didn't actually have a conflict. Like, yeah. they never exchanged a crossword to each other. It was way passive. Yeah, it was extremely Just passive looks. to the point where it was like, unless you want to add 30 minutes to this movie, which you already thought was too long, it never, to me, felt like that was going to come to a head in this movie. Well, see, right, and that, that, that just makes me ask the question again, if it's not necessary... Why even include it in this? Because film? it is necessary for Thor three. It absolutely that will be a problem. And see, this is the same problem I had with Iron Man two. You've got all of these elements that serve no purpose except to set up more films, and it just drags the movie down, in my opinion. And it's just not interesting to me. Yeah, I like The Godfather one and two. I think your movie needs to exist on its own as a good movie. I think that it does exist on its own. But that doesn't mean that it can't have some things that have further ramifications in sequels. I don't think there's any violation of a movie code for you to know that we are making more of these. Matter of fact, to some extent, when done well, it's the best type of movies. When you go, we're, we're going to take something that could, you know, we could rush through and we're going to set it up where you go back to movies. You go back a movie and go... Oh, I remember the beginnings of this. Those are some of my favorite movies of all time. The Godfather 1 and 2, uh, for example. Uh, even the Star Wars trilogies. Like, I enjoy those movies because little things that happen in movie 1 or 2 where you're like, that's going to be a problem. It might not come up to two movies later, but I enjoy that as a fan going, wow, that was earned. Masterful writing. Good job. See, I, I guess I just didn't feel like they were little seeds they were setting in place it felt like like there were entire exchanges of dialogue and entire scenes devoted to this conflict that never really went anywhere i i just kind of felt like well if you're gonna spend this much time on it you got to take it somewhere you say conflict but it wasn't a conflict and two they did take it somewhere he chose uh the earth girl it absolutely did go somewhere but he had already chosen her right and he and then he had uh you know his father go Hey man, she can't use your comb. Don't bring her home. And he was like, "Fuck you!" Like I like it did go somewhere. That was a choice he made. Well, and you also had scenes of like him and Sif, and she. You can tell that she's kind of interested in him. And I, I, I just felt like they 
could have done more with that to make that part of an actual character arc for him to go through in this movie. But he doesn't really go through an arc, in my opinion. He doesn't really change much at all or evolve over the course of the film. First of all, that's that's wrong. But second of all, they didn't need to go through that arc. And yes, he did go through a character arc. He went to Earth and passed up on the throne. Inside, he is the same person. No, because before he was loyal to his father and stayed to try to get peace in the nine realms and gave up on his love life for his father's command. In this one, even though he thinks, even though he, even though it's Loki, in this one, he still, his father goes, I cannot approve this. I'm not giving you permission. I, you know, I can't stop you, but I can't say that what you're doing is okay. It is, you know, it's not okay. As the leader of this crowd, you are turning your back. And he's like, that's fine. I want to go be with her that bad. At the end of the first film, he destroys the Bifrost, not really out of any sort of loyalty to his father, but just to save the Frost Giants, to stop Loki from killing them all. Right, and giving up on his love. Right, he and giving up on his love just as a way right. to save other people. Here right. in this film, no other people are in danger at, at this point. So if Of him not being the king? What happens when Odin dies? Then someone else will be king. They'll deal with it. Who? I, I, Loki. And that's a trouble. I felt like there was not a solid through line of an arc for him in this film. It, yeah, like I disagree. The, like the, sec- the first movie, there was a clear journey from arrogant brat to more humble, diplomatic-minded superhero not all your in- movies have to handhold you through the character development <laughs> not to mention you can't do that twice and i'm talking about doing it like twice. that would actually be more insulting to make him back to fucked up to like they took him through as much of an arc as you can take a guy who's a quote-unquote good guy you know he wasn't gonna be evil this movie right. he wasn't gonna go back to being brash and selfish yeah he's not dealing with alcoholism like tony stark i'm not saying make him evil again or, or whatever don't repeat the same art i'm just saying people continue to develop throughout their lives and continue to evolve in other ways and they made me think that everything with him and sif versus jane like that was gonna be i seriously can't believe you're asking for like a girl fight no 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 yeah. right i can see what you're saying how that was the intended arc of now, oh, he's choosing to turn his back on his kingdom or whatever. I I got the impression they were building to that with the whole Sif-Jane conflict. Like, should I be with Sif, who is immortal or more immortal than Jane is and can rule by my side? Should Mm -hmm. I choose the kingdom over her? Like you said, they introduced that that could be a theme, and then they just drop it. And so then at the end... When he makes mm. that decision, I didn't feel like it It was part of a grand emotional character journey that he had been on. Well, actually, I misspoke earlier, and let me clean this up for anyone listening. He actually, at the end, doesn't choose Earth because of Jane. He actually says, even if you forbid me to see her, I'm going to go back to Earth right. and help protect Earth. So it was even more noble than just picking a chick. And I actually like that about this character because, I don't know, to me it's more cliche to have the chick fight and the the pick a pick a girl it, it would it didn't feel deserved because they don't spend enough time with Lady Sif they don't spend enough time with her for it to even be a love robbery and it would have felt forced in like we need another thing like no it is perfectly fine that he went through the arc as a noble hero and not a you know what kind of romance do I pick over this hot chick or that hot chick not what romance but like what is my role do I want to choose the kingdom or do I want to choose Earth and he did. Yeah, he does, but there's no, it's not, it doesn't feel earned to me. 
It felt earned to me and it didn't need to be involved just picking a girl. That would actually simplify that choice down to a level that was not heroic. Obviously, they shouldn't boil it down just to that. But at no point did I feel like Thor in this movie was wrestling with any of these issues. It just kind of felt like right. they presented these issues like, hey, here's some issues. And then at the end, he makes a choice and that's it. And and there's no there's no journey. But doesn't his lack of interest in her say it already? It's already telling you, like, I'm not interested in this, dad. Like, it, he's telling you right there. It doesn't need to be drawn out more than that. So what you're telling me is that he is the same person he was at the end of the first film. No, I'm saying he's not because he goes back to Middle Earth. He does. He don't. I mean, Middle Earth. <laughs> he goes back to the to 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 Midgard to the to the Earth realm to, for his heroic obligations to protect the humanity, as opposed to uh, staying and doing what his father says and just guarding the crown and run, and doing his dirty, doing his got his his father's work. Here's what I'm saying, Rod. We have the seeds of that and we have the destination we do not have the journey to get there in this film and that is what was i'm saying you are wrong and we do have it okay well we will have to agree to disagree thank you of (laughs) course i felt like this movie was so concerned with just mythology and just throwing in more terms and crazy stuff to just make things bigger and set up other films that they just left actual characters behind it went through an arc that you weren't satisfied with but um i found very satisfying monica found uh at least somewhat satisfying if not very so um you know it I, we enjoyed the movie man and uh i, I think is that it's more than just uh you know such a definitive this movie was was terrible and only a couple things happened point of view i'm just saying i i'm glad you liked the movie i just i don't understand I don't think you are glad that I like the <laughs> no, movie. No, I am glad. I would never. Be- I feel like you're Loki right now. <laughs> I would never. I would never begrudge anyone their enjoyment. And I'm just saying, I'm maybe I'm just jealous that I did not have that experience. Like, and now you're gonna try to take my crown. <laughs> jealousy like, and ambition. Like, like you're telling me that there's an arc here, and I'm just looking like, where's the arc? I want to see the arc. Please convince me that there's an arc, and I can't, I just don't see it. Well, it's, when you're asking, when you're asking the kind of questions <laughs> you're asking, no one can. Like you're really asking, like, like explain the world and explain what's happening to me. Explain the movie to me. Yeah, and well, not just that, but your question, like, and this happens a lot with with critic. Well, not critic, with people when they don't enjoy something, where they lower the bar of the questions to such a level that if they they could do it with any movie, but when they when you enjoy a movie, people are less likely to do that. You know, so. Uh, for example, with the Dark Knight trilogy, right? Some people don't like the third movie, but maybe they like the first one, right? Well, in the first movie, he's in the mountains of Tibet or something training. And then the, the literally after this whole explosion, the next scene is him walking onto a plane to meet Alfred, right? In the third movie, he's in the pit. You know, now he's actually Batman and a guy from skill. He's in the pit. He escapes the pit. The next scene is him walking towards the bridge of, in, in, to get into Gotham. And people are like, well, how did he get back to the bridge? But in the first movie, we don't ask because we liked it, you know, and I feel like that's what you're doing. You you like the first movie. So there are some questions you could be asking about the first movie, but you enjoyed it. And now this movie you didn't enjoy. So it's we've got to get down to like, what's the MacGuffin and why is it MacGuffin and up this movie? It's like, well, because that's what they MacGuffins do. I'm just saying I, I needed more rules than I got in this 
film. The, everything in this film seems so vague and undefined. Just, you hating. <laughs> I'm picky to want them to define a, a world if they're going to set up a mythology. To, uh, if, to, to ask You're picky them. with this movie. I think other movies, the rules didn't matter to you. The rules do matter. First one didn't matter. Nah, matter. you said you said uh, the first Thor didn't matter to you. The first, uh, the first Thor established. It's just rules. supposed to be a thing that you don't know the rules to. The first like, no, okay. the first Thor established rules. No, you said the Tesseract. You were like, it didn't matter what the Tesseract does because it's you know it's not integral to the plot. It's like, well, the motivations to why someone would want to have it might matter if you knew what the fuck it was in the first film. If the Tesseract had anything to do with. Some, if someone was actually going to use the Tesseract at some point for something in the first movie, then yeah, I would want to know what is this thing and what are you trying to do with it. But at no point does that happen in the first movie. So in that movie, you are okay with them setting up an element of something for another movie. That's interesting. <laughs> That's very interesting. You, you didn't demand that that movie was terrible because they, you didn't know what they were going to do with that later. Because the te- like it's like I said, you could replace the Tesseract. You can replace it with anything. It's like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but it later goes on to mean something in and another later movie. Later on, it does, but it doesn't yeah, have to. Kind of like saying, maybe a relationship between Sith and and the. I'm saying the uh, like the ether in this movie is so fundamental to the plot of this movie. You got to explain it. It's like you can't have. Okay, it's like having Lord of the Rings. Without explaining what the ring is, you have to know what the ring is. Nah, because we're probably not gonna see the. Well, we will see the ether again, but it's not gonna be by itself for the next three movies. And uh, for the record, in the first Lord of the Rings, you don't really know what the ring is unless you read The Hobbit. Unless you no, unless you read The Hobbit, no, you don't know all the implications that that ring holds. They explain the ring was forged in the the fires of and whatever by Sauron and it has this power and people are drawn to it and the and the and the ring has a has a will of its own and it wants to be found like they they give they tell you enough about the ring and when you put it on it makes you invisible yes but i'm saying they don't actually uh explain why why do people want it why does it make people want it because it's powerful and evil and that's part of Sauron's plan but there's a lot of powerful, evil things in existence that not everybody wants. But good people want the ring. Because the ring has a will of its own. Because it's a plot device and it make it will make it makes people that you're supposed to trust interesting characters of questionable morality when the ring's around. Yes. And that's the only reason. It, they don't actually explain it. Show me the science into why no, that no, no. would make everybody <laughs> want it. Again. I don't need science. They're they're said yes, it's a plot device, but they explain how the plot device works. The ether in this movie, they don't explain how it works. They're just like, oh, it's an ether thing, and there it is, and it does stuff. But they show you though; it absorbs into people's bodies, and and, and only the 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 alien. Apparently, only the elves can use it. Well, we don't know that because, like I said, she gets absorbed into her. She doesn't know what the fuck she's doing with it. She gets sick and is about to die. Exactly, we don't know human. anything about it. We know nothing right, about but it. I'm, I'm, right, but I'm right, but I'm saying Andrew I'm to hide under my covers. <laughs> Andrew, you could ask the same basic questions of your Lord of the Rings that you have put on this pedestal about why does it make why does it make someone physically need this ring once they know about because it? Because that is its power. That is what it does. But how? Scientifically, there's no other substance in this universe that does that. Why this one ring and how? How does it do it? The difference is, Rod, 
I'm not boiling the ether down to specific science. I'm just saying, what's it do? I know what the ring does. I don't nec- I don't know. But the it specifics. darkens it darkens the nine realms, though. They that's if you just want to be basic about it, that's what they tell you in the opening little story. Is this is what they were trying to do, and this is what it does, and then we actually see it try to do that later in the movie. You you do on a basic level know, but now you want to know the science behind it. Does it have a will of its own? Who can use it? How was it created? All of those questions were answered about the ring. They were not answered about the ether. We have some context about the ring. I'm saying what my, my point here, Andrew, is if I want to, I can ask a question that you can't answer yes. about the fucking ring because I, but you don't care because you enjoyed no. you it satisfied you enough to enjoy it. No. So you don't care. I don't care because those questions, the plot does not hinge on those questions. And I don't think the plot hinges on how exactly the ether works. I don't think it does. Okay. We'll have to agree to disagree on that one. I was going to say I'm about I- to separate you boys. <laughs> I cannot believe we're rehashing this thing again. I cannot be having deja vu. The Matrix is fucking up. You just wait. I'm sure when we bring Rod on to discuss Thor 3 and Avengers 2, we're going to get into all of this again. It's just going to happen. I mean, are you really planning on not enjoying any of these? Yeah, movies? Come thank on, you. Man. Come on, dude. This sounds like a this sounds like a setup. No, no, no. <laughs> I want to enjoy all the films, and I honestly, I've been enjoying all the Marvel films until this year. And now the more stuff I see in Iron Man 3. Why didn't you have me on for Iron Man 3? I didn't even like that. Well, we should have had you on for Iron Man 3. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, this is terrible, man. I, you know, this is one of my worst movie years in a while. And you only invited me on for the movies that I disagree <laughs> with you about. I, I don't even understand how that accident. happened. Okay. We're going to bring you on for Captain America Winter Soldier. And we'll mm. see how that one does. And we'll bring you on for <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> why could I not be here for the counselor I didn't like the counselor <laughs> why could I not be there for that I'd I like to agree with you guys what, it'll, it'll happen eventually Rod I'm, I'm I, sure. can, I, can, I, I could question uh, Andrew's inverted racism for hours <laughs> that would have been great and I would no, I would agree with you there I agreed yeah I think I was being subconsciously racist <laughs> sorry <laughs> I'm a white guy. Sometimes I'm still biased without many. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I was in the car rolling, Monica. I I really appreciate you as a as a host oh, of this good. show. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people would have been like, I don't know, just move to the next topic. She was like, Nah, that's pretty racist. I was like, Yes, Monica. It and is. I, no, that was something I I actually wanted to explore. That like, Hey, <laughs> am I racist? Yeah, it was. I, I appreciate you bringing it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I appreciate you being like. Uh, yeah, let me ask you this: uh, as someone that might have an eye into this uh, situation, is it racist? If I thought that, you know what's funny though, uh, Andrew, as that was happening, my first indication when Javier Bardem's, Bardem's character went on these long jaunts, I was like, "But that character doesn't seem like he would know that much and talk that." Right. Wait a minute, none of these characters seem. No one talks like this. This movie's bullshit. Like that's how I came to my reaction. <laughs> like I, I, I did, but I think it did start first with a little bit of uh, latent racism right. and privilege. Where I was, right. where I was like, oh my god, like these people, English isn't their first language. What's going on? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was the accent that got me. Yeah, I was that, like, that he too. still has such a heavy accent, but he is murdering this language. He is <laughs> smart as shit. God, wait a minute, all these people are smart as shit, and 
this is horribly written. No one, no one talks like that. McCarthy can't have. Oh, we should have had you on for the council. McCarthyisms. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while to get to that, man. Oh uh, man, Rod, you can come on anytime you want and see if we agree. Just like a sound check. A Do we agree yet? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm really going to start checking on Twitter now and be like, "Hey guys, what did you think about this?" Uh, okay, well then I'll catch you next week. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this heated, passionate debate about Thor, the Dark World. I really hope Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America Winter Soldier are better than this. I want to like these movies as much as you do, Rod. I want to. I actually hope that they're better than this, too, because that would mean we got three great movies. And uh, when you say like these movies, I, I just for the record... Uh, my list is Avengers, Iron Man, and this are my enjoyable Avenger-related movies. Okay. Well, Thor The Dark World is currently my least favorite Marvel film after uh, <laughs> it's right below <laughs> Iron Man 3. <laughs> below? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, hey, people, eat, uh, hit us up on Twitter, uh, writer Andrew, Rodimus Prime, at M Casty Movies, let let us know who who you agree with. Yes. This, this, I cannot be crazy. Yeah. Here. <laughs> All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing 12 Years a Slave. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, uh, The Briefing Room, which is all about the third season of Homeland, and The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, which is all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Rod, thanks for coming on again. Even I feel like every time you come on, we end up just yelling at each other but it's a lot of fun and thank you for putting up with me man thank you for having me very few people i can come yell at and uh, <laughs> still remain cool with afterwards so <laughs> I, I actually appreciate it man i'm glad it didn't devolve into just a bunch of insults and stuff and uh gotta give a lot of credit from to monica for um oh, refereeing this bad boy and um uh, keeping all the Try. all the punches above the belt i may or may not be under my covers right now <laughs> let me know when the apocalypse is over <laughs> I feel like Monica roots for me, but, you know, she doesn't want to, like, be a bad co-host and come out against you, so. And I respect that. Her loyalties are divided. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you online, Rod? Uh, you guys can find me uh, on Twitter at Rodimus Prime, or uh, I tweet movies and TV shows uh, at Rod Live Tweets. And uh, you can find my podcast, The Black Guy Who Tips, on iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, or just search theblackguytips.com. Monica, where can people find you? People can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastymovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. And I just want to plug one more time that... Uh, you can hear Rod every week on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast with me, William Bibbs-Bibiani, and Gwen Reyes. Rod, I'm hoping in two weeks we won't be repeating <laughs> this debate uh, when we have our Thor tie-in episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, man, we didn't get to talk about it, but did you notice how much S.H.I.E.L.D. references were in this movie without anyone from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. being in the I movie? I did not. There was a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. this, S.H.I.E.L.D. that, and I've got to call mm. S.H.I.E.L.D. And I was like, man, they really are saying S.H.I.E.L.D. a lot, and Coulson's not even in this movie. Well, yeah, because the Avengers aren't allowed to know that he's still alive. Mm -hmm. They're only level six, not level Gonna seven. Gonna be interesting to see that tie-in. 
Yep. All right. Well, you can find some of my writing at moviemezzanine.com and pathos.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know your listeners so I can follow you back. And we can keep debating Thor The Dark World and whether or not it's a great Marvel movie or the worst Marvel movie. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. And I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and hitting things with a hand. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!